Well, happy Easter, Emmanuel. How are you feeling today? Are you excited to be here today? I hope you are. I'm absolutely jazzed and pumped to be here with you today on this Easter weekend. Hey, if you're a guest with us here today, you've been invited by a friend, a family member, a co-worker, someone who cares about you and loves you, wanted you to be in a seat here today, we want you to know we've been praying for you, planning for you, and preparing for you. Hopefully you feel that your experience thus far has been a good one. Have you, have you enjoyed yourself? How about that worship set right there? Wasn't that incredible? <laughs> be able to sing to our God and honor our God. We hope that your parking experience was uh, somewhat comfortable out there in the parking lot. I know it's a little jammed, uh, and uh, hopefully that, uh, you know, you'll continue to have a good experience. Uh, we're excited to be here today. It's Easter weekend. We're in a series right now called 40 Years and Counting. What we've been doing is celebrating the reality that our church on this particular weekend in 1977 was birthed. It was launched by Pastor Jim Devaney and his wife Carol with 14 other couples in a little white house in Greenwood. This is where our church started in 1977. Isn't that incredible? Today our church reaches over 4,000 people every single weekend. We'll probably reach just under 7,000 people this weekend. Can you imagine that we've come that far in 40 years? It's absolutely incredible to be part of that. God has been faithful. He's been touching lives every single week. You heard from a few of those lives right there in the video. Uh, some of you actually have come today because uh, someone that you love or care about or a friend of yours is being baptized. So we're going to be celebrating that here at the end of the service. Thanks for coming and supporting them and being a part of their baptism uh, weekend. Isn't it incredible to get baptized on Easter weekend? I mean, that's awesome. If you're going to get baptized on any weekend, do it on Easter, right? Because here's the deal with baptism. When you go into the water, it's symbolic of you dying to your old life in the same way Jesus died, and rising up, washed and cleansed from your sins, literally resurrecting, symbolically, being resurrected to a brand new life. Guess what happened on Easter Sunday? Jesus rose from the grave. Anybody excited about that? In fact, in fact, that Easter, that first Easter morning, some of the women that were kind of, you know, followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, they went to the tomb. If you've read the New Testament, you've seen this. They went to the tomb that first Easter Sunday morning. And when they got there, the stone had been rolled away. When they went inside, they were looking around for Jesus and they found nobody. See, they weren't expecting to find nobody. See, it's kind of a play on words there. They, 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 they were expecting to find the body of Jesus, but they didn't find his body. And so they're kind of bewildered. They're looking around. They see some claws there that, that, that Jesus was wrapped in. All of a sudden, two angelic beings show up. No kidding. And this is what they said to the, to the women. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is, say it with me, he's risen from the dead. Amen. We, we, here's the reality. The grave could not hold him, see? Death could not block him and sin could not stop him. He was too mighty, he was too powerful, and he was too glorious. And so he finished the redemption of mankind by rising from the grave. What I want to talk to you about really quickly is uh, the, the significance of the resurrection. Why is it that Christians all over the world, people of faith all over the world, hold this day, this weekend, as perhaps the most significant weekend or, or holiday, or ritual, or whatever you want to call it, of the year. Why is that? And it, there's, there's some specific reasons for that. The first one, and if you're a note taker, you want to take out your notes, check this out. The first one is that without the resurrection, faith is useless. Without the resurrection, faith is useless. In other, in other words, we absolutely needed Jesus to rise from the grave. Listen to how Paul explains it. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is, say it with me, useless. The Greek word in the, in the New Testament text that is used there, it literally means unproductive, without value. Now, what do we do with things that have no value? You do this all day, probably every day in your home. You take things that have no value and you put them where? In the trash. Our family of five, it's amazing, we've got these three children that produce a lot of trash. I produce a lot of trash, wrappers and all kinds of things. They're always eating, you know, things and boxes of all sorts. And we just, we fill up one of those big old trash cans. You know what I'm talking about? The kind where the trash man doesn't even try to pick it up, but the, the, the arms of the, you know, the, 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 the truck come out and they pick it up for you. We fill up one of those every single week. And that's not even the recycling. We also recycle. We fill up one of those too. Anybody tell what I'm talking about? It's amazing how much trash our family accumulates. You know what Paul says? He says, here's the deal. If Jesus did not rise from the grave. Your faith is trash. Take it out to the curb. It's absolutely worthless. Close down the church. Don't do Easter Sunday. Have no more services because there's no point to your faith if Jesus is still dead. Now, why does he say that? Watch this in your notes. Because without the resurrection, we have no forgiveness. We have no forgiveness. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, we have no grace, we have no mercy, we have no reconciliation with God, we have no forgiveness of sins. Watch what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, the rest of the verse. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still, say it with me, guilty of your sins. See, here's the deal. You and I came into this world as sinners. We inherited that sin nature from Adam and Eve. Happened in the Garden of Eden. You can check it out in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. The whole story, they rebelled against God. They inherited a sin nature. You were born with a sin nature. The cost of that sin, the penalty of that sin is death. It's a bill that you and I cannot pay. See, normally when you go out to eat with your family, if you do that sort of thing, my family likes to do that every now and then, we go out to eat and we enjoy this nice meal. And then at some point when we're done and we're full, what happens? The waiter brings the bill. And most of the time, well, I should say most of the time, all the time we pay it, you know. In fact, if we, <laughs> if we didn't pay the bill and we walked out, they, what would happen? They'd call, you know, they'd say, oh, this big tall family, you know, they just walked out without paying the bill. <laughs> We'd get in trouble, right? And I tried to pull that thing, I tried to pull that a few times when I was in high school. It didn't work so well. You got in trouble. You have to pay the bill, right? Here's the deal. There's, someone's got to pay the bill for the sin debt that the human race has incurred. And the crazy thing is, is that you cannot pay it. You and I don't have it within ourselves to pay the bill. And that's why Christ came. Christ Jesus was sent into this world to die on a cross and rise again to pay the penalty of sin, to pay the bill you could not pay. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God made Jesus who had no sin. He lived a perfect life. See, that's what you and I couldn't do. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Why? So that we could be made or become the righteousness of God. In other words, if you've ever seen the movie The Passion, my family for the first time together on Friday night, on Good Friday, we gathered together at about nine o'clock at night. We watched The Passion together, a Mel Gibson's movie. And we had to do some fast-forwarding because I have an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old, and mostly it was because of my wife. She couldn't take it. (laughs) It's a pretty gory movie. What it shows is the suffering of Christ, what he actually went through, the whipping and the scourging and then the crucifixion. 
On the, one of the scenes that is, is recorded in the Bible that Gibson shows there when Jesus is on the cross, he's in agony, he's in pain, he's about to lose his life. He says these incredible words. He says, Father, why have you forsaken me? And what he meant was, why have you turned your back on me? We've been, we've been one for all eternity. And in this moment, you've, you've literally turned your back on me. Why? Here's why. I have to explain this. It's very important. Because in that moment on the cross, the sin of the entire world, mine and yours, and the sin of every human being was placed upon Christ, and God the Father couldn't look at his own son. That's what it means when it says, God made him who had no sin perfect, righteous, Jesus, Son of God. He made him who had no sin to be sin. My sin, your sin. God the Father had to look away. And in that moment, Jesus Christ paid the penalty, paid the bill for you and I. Now, if he would have stayed dead, (laughs) if he would have stayed in the grave, that penalty would not have been paid. Does that make sense? Without the resurrection, there's no forgiveness of sins. There's no grace. There's no reconciliation. Is anybody glad that Jesus came back to life three days later? Amen? (laughs) Now, now, sometimes churches, preachers, Christians, we kind of leave that whole story uh, to kind of deal with the afterlife. We think, man, I'm so glad that Jesus rose from the dead. He died and rose, rose again so that I can go to heaven when, when I die. Now, I'm all about going to heaven when I die. I'm very excited about that. I'd rather go there than the other place. Amen? Anybody? I'm not interested in that other place. So I'm excited about that. However, I have to live my life right now, and so do you. So my question today is, does the resurrection have anything to say or do, or does it impact my life right now? I'm trying to raise these three crazy kids I have. I'm trying to have a good marriage, trying to be a good pastor for all of you, and take care of my grass, which is not going so well. <laughs> it's actually going a lot better because other people are now helping me, but that's, thank you um, for those who are helping me. But anyway, what about right now and the struggles of everyday life and the stresses and the pressures and the difficulties and the challenges? And Am I the only one? Does the resurrection have anything to say about the quality of my life right now? And in fact, I'm here to tell you today it does. Watch this. The resurrection makes it possible to experience a completely different quality of life right now. See, you and I have a quality of life. For some of us, it's going really well. For some of us, we're having a good time. Others of us, not so much. The resurrection of Jesus Christ makes it possible. It doesn't guarantee it, but it makes it possible for you and I to experience a very high quality of life of living. Listen to how Jesus explained it in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, the thief, the enemy, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Who's he talking about? He's talking about your enemy, my enemy. His name is Satan. His name is, his name is Lucifer. He wants to steal away your life, your joy, your character, your reputation, your relationships. He wants you down, discouraged, in the dumps. He wants to steal away your joy and your happiness. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. But I, listen to Jesus, I came that they may have, say it with me, life. And not just any ordinary life, but I want you to have it abundantly. You know what that word means? To have excessive life, overflowing life. I don't know if you're a coffee drinker out there. Any coffee drinkers out there today? 66, statistics show that 66% of Americans are coffee drinkers. The rest of you haven't seen the truth yet. That's okay. <laughs> You'll come around. Maybe today God opens your heart and your mind. <laughs> when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is I stumble towards the Keurig. Even before I grab my Bible, I know that's not very spiritual. 
I stumble over to the Keurig, and there's a couple of options, and I haven't figured out how to program this thing yet, so if you want to send me an email after the service, you can. I don't know how to program the Keurig, because I don't know how to program anything, but it's not that you know, challenging to, to kind of go through the steps. They ask me, or it asked me, if I want an eight-ounce cup. And I'm thinking every morning, really? Who's going eight ounces at 5.30 in the morning? I, I'm not. Who's going 10? And then it says, do you want 10 ounces? No, I'm not going 10. I want 12 ounces, and I want it now. <laughs> so I'm hitting the thing as fast as I can, you know. You know what Jesus says? He says, I'm, I'm, I haven't come to give you eight ounces of life. I didn't come to give you a, a three-quarter filled cup of 10 ounces. I came to give you 12. I came to give you a life that is overflowing. Now, I could do a whole series, and one day I will, on, on all the different aspects of what the abundant life is. I only have time to show you one today, and I think this kind of sums it up. You say, what is the abundant life? Here's what it is. The abundant life is the quenching, the satisfying of your soul's thirst. It's the quenching, it's the satisfying of your soul's thirst. Have you ever noticed that, that you, you have a constant thirst inside of you? A thirst in your soul? I hope you've noticed this already because you have it. Every single one of us has it. You were created with it. It's kind of like our homing device. It, it brings us back to Jesus, or at least it's supposed to. Every single one of us has a soul thirst. There's a great story in the Bible about a woman, I think she represents all of us, and that's why she doesn't have a name. Jesus didn't call her Margaret, Susie. Why do I always say Susie when it comes to women? I have no idea. <laughs> we don't know her name. She's just the woman. She's the woman at the well. Jesus meets her at a well in a place called Samaria. She's there to draw water about 12 o'clock in the afternoon, and there's a reason for that, the hottest part of the day. I'll get to that in a little bit. Jesus is there because he's on his way to Galilee. He's tired. He wants to drink. So he meets this woman. His disciples go on into town, so he's there alone. He strikes up a conversation with her. Listen to what he says. Will you give me a drink? She's probably thinking, typical man. <laughs> Here I am, a woman. You just want something from me. Her whole life, men just wanted something from her. Here's Jesus. Will you give me a drink? Jesus answers and says this. Listen. Well, first of all, let me back up. She does, she's confused about this because she's a woman, and men don't talk to women hardly in those days. And plus, she was a Samaritan, and Jesus was a Jew, and there were all kinds of racial tensions there. So she shoots back and says, why are you talking to me? I'm a Jewish, I'm, I'm a Samaritan woman, you're a Jewish man. Jesus says this, if you knew, <laughs> if you only knew the gift of God, see that salvation is a gift, eternal life is a gift, abundant life is a gift, it's something God gives us. If you knew the gift of God and who, who it is, see the, the gift is inside of a person. If you knew what the gift was and if you knew who I was, here's what you would have done. You would have asked me for a drink. And here's what I would have done. I would have given you not just the water that you're going to get from this well, but I would have given you a different type of water. I would have given you, say it with me, living water. I would have given you a water that would satisfy your soul's thirst, not your physical thirst. See, I have something different inside of me. And this woman, she's confused. She says to him, Jesus, sorry, you don't have a bucket. Where are you going to draw this water? She doesn't know. She doesn't know he's talking about spiritual water. She thinks he's talking about physical water. Where's your bucket, she says to him. How are you going to draw it? Are you greater than our father Abraham? You know, what, what's the deal? Are you going to get this water? So Jesus has to clarify. Listen to what he says in verse 13 and 14. He replied, anyone who drinks of the water in the well is going to become what? Thirsty again. Which is, you know, he's kind of playing with her a little bit, kind of helping her along, trying to help her to see. 
You drink from this water, you're going to be thirsty again. But watch, watch this. Watch what happens with the person who drinks the water that I'll give him. But those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. Here's what's going to happen. You drink that water, it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. We see that phrase oftentimes. We think about going to heaven when we die. No, 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 no. He's talking about a quality of life right now. A life filled with joy and peace and purpose and deep faith in God. Jesus says, I've got a water that you you don't know anything about. And if you drink it, it'll satisfy you at the soul level. You drink the water in the well, you're going to have to come back here tomorrow because you're going to be thirsty again. But I have a water that if you should drink it, if you should put your trust in me, if you should believe in me, you will never thirst again. Now, the woman's struggling, okay? She doesn't know what he's talking about. So she says, give me some of this water so I don't have to come back here. Well, listen, I'll just read it to you. Verse 15. Sir, give me some of this water so I won't have to, you know, ever again come back to this well and drink it. She thinks it's magic water. <laughs> She's still thinking that, that somehow there's magic water in the well. And if he, you know, if he gets some, you know, she can drink it and never have to show up again at the well, which would have been fine with her because there was a reason she showed up at 12 o'clock in the afternoon in the heat of the day where no one else was there except for Jesus. So because she's confused, because she's not getting it, Jesus has to push in, okay? You ever notice how he does that sometimes, ever so gently? He's not a bully. But we're not getting something, he'll just kind of push in a little bit more. So he tells her, watch this, watch what he says. Go get your husband. Go get Bob. I'd like to meet Bob. Now, she thinks she's got an out here. She says, well, I'm not married. I'm not married. But Jesus is the Messiah. He knows about every detail of this woman's life. And he knows about every detail of your life. He says to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had, say it with me, five. There's Bob and there's John and Sam, Lucas and You've had five husbands, and, and, and now you're shacking up with a six. Now, I know I paraphrased that, but that's pretty much what he said. <laughs> you're on number six. What is he doing here to this woman? Where's he going with her? What's, this co- what's the context of this conversation? It's about spiritual thirst. And he brings up her husbands, her five husbands, and the sixth guy. You know what he's trying to say? Woman, we don't know her name. Woman, you have been trying to satisfy a spiritual thirst with something physical. And it doesn't work. And if you keep drinking from that well, if you keep filling up your bucket with man after man, she's like a man eater, you know what I'm saying? Man after man after man. If you keep filling up your bucket with men, you will have to keep coming back. And that's exactly what you're doing. You're on number six. She didn't like this. She's getting uncomfortable, so she changes the subject altogether. Well, you know, <laughs> I can see you're a prophet, and they say that, you know, Samaritans and Jews are going to worship on this mountain and this. You know, she, she, she changes the subject to worship, and Jesus, Jesus kind of goes down that. You can read it when you get home. He follows her down that, but he's the master evangelist. He's the master teacher, and he knows how to help people, and he knows how to help you. He circles her back around, and she says to him, By the way, this is the longest conversation between someone in the Bible and Jesus ever recorded. The entire Bible. The longest conversation. 
She says, you know, I, I, it's true, I have heard that, that there's a Messiah coming, and when he comes, he's going to tell, tell us about everything. That's what she says to him. Now watch verse 26. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. <laughs> right here, right here, like the whole time. Yes, you're getting it. I'm the one. I'm the one that can satisfy you. I'm the one that, that can fill your bucket in a way that no relationship and no man could ever satisfy. I'm the one. I'm the one. I'm right here. I'm he. You don't have to look any further. Put your faith in me. Put your trust in me. And I will satisfy. I will quench your soul's thirst. Amazing. I'm the one. You know what he's really talking about? He's talking about his spirit. You know what the living water is? The living water is the Holy Spirit. The spirit of Jesus. <laughs> he says, when you trust me, when you believe in me, my spirit will fill your soul. It'll become a bubbling spring of life coming out of you. Your cup will overflow, and goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, Psalm 23. Oh. Listen to what Jesus said at the end of a seven-day feast to an entire crowd. He said, let anyone who is, say with me, thirsty, not physical thirst. Jesus didn't have water bottles. Hmm. Let me hand one out to you. I know you guys are thirsty. He wasn't talking about physical thirst. He was talking about the soul thirst. Anybody who's thirsty, come to me and what? Drink. Well, how do you drink? He tells us, whoever believes. We, we, we drink by believing in Christ, by trusting in Christ. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. Watch this. This he spoke. When he spoke about this, he meant the spirit whom those who would believe would later receive. The living water is the spirit of God. Can I ask you a difficult question today? And I know some of you aren't prepared to hear this question. It's going to bother you. You may never come back. But I want to tell you where it comes from. It comes from a place of love. What is love? Love is wanting what is best for somebody else. That's what love is. It's not a feeling. It's not emotion. It's not romance. It could be. But love primarily is wanting what is best for somebody else. I'm going to ask you this question because I love you. I don't even know some of you but I want what's best for you. Here's the question I want to ask you today. What well have you been drinking from? See, this woman, if, if the bucket could represent a soul, your soul and my soul, or her soul, she was taking her bucket and she was dropping it down into the well of relationships, hoping that when it came up that it would satisfy her spiritual thirst. And I'm here to tell you today, Jesus would say to you, and he is saying it through me, you can never satisfy a spiritual thirst with something physical. What well have you been dropping your bucket into? What, would you, what question would Jesus ask you if you were sitting at the well with him, if he pulled up a seat and you weren't getting it about this living water? What, what are you talking about? Would he sit here and say, okay, go get your calendar. I want to see how many hours you're working. Go get it. Because you've been trying to find happiness. You've been trying to quench your soul by becoming the greatest worker, the greatest business person, the greatest mom. I know how some of you work, you moms. Gotta be perfect, gotta be perfect, gotta schedule every super mom. And then you also have to be beautiful and skinny. Would he say to you today, go get your, your day runner? Would he say to you, let me see your workout schedule? 
Because you're so focused on being fit. You're trying to satisfy your soul's thirst by being physically attractive. Would he say that to you? Would he say, go get your mirror? Go get your mirror. Spend a lot of time in front of that mirror. You know, you're wearing the Spanx and <laughs> doing the diet. Low fat this, low fat that. 45 minutes on the treadmill every day, you know. Go get, go get your, go get, let's go get him. What, what would he say to you today? And really what, what I'm asking is what, what well have you dropped your bucket down into to try to satisfy your soul? Would he, would he say, hey, go, hey, bud, go get your checkbook. See, this is uncomfortable. I know it is, but remember where it's coming from. It's coming from a place of love. Let's go, go get your checkbook. Let's look at all how you've been spending your dollars, what you've been buying. Because a lot of us try to find soul satisfaction from purchasing things. Here's an uncomfortable one. Some of you might get up when, you, when, I, when I say this and leave. Go get your laptop. Let's look through the history of what websites you've been on. To the woman, he says, go get your husband. Why? Because that's the place she was trying to find happiness. And some of us go to places on the internet searching for happiness. You know what Jesus would say to you today? You keep drinking from that well, you'll never quench your thirst. You'll always have to come back. Maybe he would say to you, go get your bottle of prescription pills. The one that you got from that doctor. Then go get the bottle you got from that other doctor and the bottle you got from the other doctor. It's, never, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. What well have you been drinking from? That's a hard question, but I had to ask you that today because it's the question I believe Jesus wants to ask you. It's the question he asked the woman. What well are you dropping the bucket of your soul down into, trying to find satisfaction for your soul? You know, <clears throat> this story with the woman resonates with me so much because this was my story. When I was 16 years old, I, 17, 16, 17, I had become pretty successful in sports specifically in basketball. I'm not very good anymore. Then I, I tried to, you know, get with the prettiest girl at school and, you know, went down that path. Chased, chased that for a while. Popularity, you know, six, you know, in school and all that stuff. And this is before Facebook. And I'm so thankful that I, aren't you thankful if you're older? Never had to deal with that. How many followers do you have on Twitter or Instagram? Went down that road, popularity, and then I got involved with, with alcohol, and I thought, well, this must, this, this, you know, sports, girls, pretty girls, and alcohol, that's got to be my, my, that's got to be the it, and so we started going to this, this ridiculous, you know, slum of a bar that would let teenagers in. Can you imagine that? All you had to do was show a fake ID, you know, so I'd, it's forged my ID, and they let me in. I'm like 16 years old, 17 years old. We started going there after games on Friday nights, just getting hammered. I mean, just drunk. So this went on for a while, and, and one night I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I, we got into the bar, and we've been drinking, 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 going to the bathroom, because that's what happens when you drink a lot. You've got to go to the bathroom constantly. So I'm, I'm standing in this, this, this scuzzy, nasty bar bathroom. I mean, it smells, and it's gross, and there's a mirror there. And, and I'm looking into this mirror, and I'm going, what, what am I doing? My eyes are bloodshot. I'm kind of like, I could feel my body swaying. And I, I literally felt God meet me in that bar. And I didn't know it was him at the time. I, as I look back, I knew it was him. But 
Here, here's the thought that occurred to me. This ain't it. That's all I heard. This ain't it. And what, he, what I felt like God was saying to me was, you're trying to find soul satisfaction in something physical, and it's never going to work. But I didn't know what to do with that, so I just went back out and started drinking again at the bar. <laughs> I mean, but, it, but later on in my life, it wasn't very long after that, that I realized that only Christ, only God could satisfy my soul. The reason I love the story of the woman at the well is because it's my story. And today, when I look at this question, I can honestly tell you that I'm trying with the best of my ability every single day, and you have to do it every day, to drop my, my bucket down into the well of Christ and the Spirit and to drink from that bucket to satisfy my soul. I hope, I hope you will too. You know, for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking back on the history of our church, last 40 years. Some of them ask, well, what about the next, what about the next 40? What about the future? Where are we headed? You know, here's what I can tell you about the future. Two things. We're going to drink the water ourselves. That's what we're going to do as individuals. We're just going to, I'm going to lead the way. I'm not going to get it perfect, but I'm going to try to say, hey, Jesus is the answer. He's the living water. Don't chase other, it's not wrong to do other things, but don't let it become the thing in your life. We're going to drink it ourselves. And number two, we're going to share it. We're going to share it with others as a church. We're just going to take Christ into our, into our soul, and then we're going to give it out to other people, which is exactly what the woman did. Watch this. She drank in the living water, verse, uh, verse uh, 26 and, and, and following. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back into the town, and she said to the people, watch this, come see a man and told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Watch what happens in verse 39. This is amazing. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. You see what she did? She drank in the living water, and then she went immediately to tell everybody back in town about Christ. And they came out, and they placed their faith in him. So what are we going to do as a church? Well, it might, it might look like we launch more campuses. That'd be awesome. We've got three right now. We might try to launch one, you know, maybe perhaps one day downtown, somewhere else. I don't know, west side, east side, wherever God opens up a door for us. I know for one thing, we're going we're gonna, to, uh, very soon, in a couple months, we're going to uh, turn to live online streaming. That's very exciting, so people can t- dial in in the moment and watch our services. And we're reaching literally thousands of people through our online ministry. It's incredible. Thank you, by the way, if you're tuning in right now. It just looks like we're going to drink in the living water, and we're going to share it with other people. Now, there's a reason why I put that in the order of one and two, Okay? Because if you don't drink it in first, and then you invite some people, they ain't going to come. <laughs> because they're not going to see Christ in you. See, you have to drink in the living water first. Let me say it this way. The credibility of your invitation, the credibility of your message is determined by the quality of your life. I was talking with a guy last night who was getting baptized. He said, Danny, the other day I was on 135. This lady cut me off. and Man, I wanted to cuss her out. I just wanted to rip into her, but then I realized I'm getting baptized on Sunday. (laughs) 
And he, and I was like, that's it, that's it. The credibility of your message is determined by the question. If you're cussing people out during the day, and then, you know, like five o'clock, you're leaving the office, hey, why don't you come to church with me? I mean, that ain't gonna work, folks, okay? So you gotta be like, the quality of your life has gotta be nice and high. It's gotta be joy and peace and love and tenderness and, 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 and faith and all. And then you say, hey, would you wanna join me? There's a seat for you at my church. I'd love for you to come. It's like, you know what? You, you, your life, your life is different. Must be something to this. I think I will come. You see how that works? We're going to drink it in ourselves, and then we're going to share it with others. You down for that? Not exciting or what? Now, we're about to baptize some folks, and here's the thing about baptism. These are folks that have said yes to the living water. These are folks who said, I want to drink from the well that offers true, abundant life. These are folks who have turned to Christ for the satisfaction of their souls. The invitation is this. You can also drink yourself. Will you pray with me, and then we're going to baptize some folks. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming to this earth, dying on a cross, but not just dying coming back to life. You have overcome death. You have overcome the grave. You have defeated sin so that we could experience forgiveness and grace and a relationship with you. But so much more than that, even now we can experience abundant life. We can taste true joy, true peace, true satisfaction at the soul level in such a way that we will never thirst again. Father, I pray that as these folks get baptized, that the message would go out to everyone here that they too can come and drink. Before we get out of here, I just want to acknowledge that for some of you, today is the day. You say, what do you mean? For some of you, today is the day where you stop drinking from those other wells and you put your trust and faith in Christ and you start drinking in the living water the well that is Jesus Christ. You say, how do I do that? It's very, very simple. You put your confidence and trust in Jesus. That's what you do. You just trust him that he died on a cross for you to pay the penalty for your sin and that three days later he finished the work of redemption by rising from the grave. You just say to him, I trust you. I put my faith in you. Some of you are like, well, I don't know if I have faith. Well, here... Here's the deal. It only takes a little bit of faith. Jesus said one time, it takes the faith of a child. One time he said it takes faith as small as a grain of mustard seed. You ever seen how small a grain of mustard seed is? It's tiny. You don't have to have this major professional pastoral faith. Oh, no, no, no. You just come and you say, Jesus, with the little bit of faith I have, I trust you for eternal life. I trust you for abundant life. If you'd like to make that decision right now, many others have. In fact, if you've already made that decision, would you raise your hand? If you've already made, look at all the hands. These are all the folks that have already made that decision. We are with you. This is your moment when God is speaking to you. You are that person at that well. Would you trust him today? If you would like to, just say this simple prayer. I'll I'll give you the words. You take them, make them your own. Christ is listening right now. Pray this. Jesus, I thirst. Been thirsting for a long time. 
been drinking from all kinds of wells. They have not satisfied. So I come to you today. I'm ready to drink in the living water. I put my trust in you. I put my confidence in you. Come into my life. Take over. Satisfy, quench my soul's thirst right now. Fill me with your spirit, your joy, your peace, your love. Fill my heart right now with rivers of living water. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. I'm asking you today to be my Lord, to be my Savior. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Church, can we give God a hand for what he's done today? For rising from the grave, for conquering sin, for conquering death. Amen. Listen to me. If you just put your faith and trust and confidence in Christ, it's absolutely essential. You're, you're sort of like a newborn baby. If you've ever seen a newborn baby, it's kind of gross. I'm not saying you're gross. They're gross. I've seen it three times, but you know, you're sort of like a newborn baby, spiritually speaking. Jesus said you must be born again if you would like to inherit the kingdom. And a newborn baby is pretty helpless, okay? They need a lot of help. And so what, what we want to do is give you some help. We want to actually start you off with a one-year New Testament. It's not the entire Bible. It's a portion of the Bible. And we want to give it to you absolutely free. There's actually tables back here to my left and to my right. There's some unbelievable folks. In fact, that's my mother and father-in-law right there. Guys, I love you. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. They would love to put one of these Bibles in your hands. Not so that you can look at it and say, oh, look what happened on Easter. Not that. And, and not so that you could give it to half-price books like six weeks from now, because I've seen a few there. Don't do that. Um, we want to put it in your hands today so that you can begin reading the Word of God. Because as you read the Word of God, it's your spiritual food. And you all know that newborn babies, they need what? They need, some, they need their mother's milk. They need formula, right? This is, your mother, this is, this is milk for your soul. This is going to help you grow in your faith. When you go back there, they're also going to talk to you about something called starting point. It's a short-term, small group. It's a safe place where you can ask questions about faith. There's no such thing as a dumb question, right? And you go to that, and and you you start to ask questions about your faith. So they'll tell you about starting point as well. Are you excited about what God is doing in in our community across our world? Amen. We're just getting started, do. It's so exciting to be part of what God is doing, how he's using our church to reach literally thousands and thousands of people. Will you pray with me? Dear God, Heavenly Father, we rejoice today. You've given our church 40 years of successful ministry. Some of them have been hard. Some of them have been easy. But you've been faithful all along. And we look forward to many, many more years of faithful ministry, God, as we keep you at the center, as we seek you, as we drink from the living water, as we seek your kingdom, as we seek to give out that living water to those around us who need it. We're counting on you and trusting in you for big things. Thank you for those who put their trust in you today. Give them the courage to go grab a Bible and begin reading it today. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for conquering the grave. Thank you for defeating sin. Thank you for coming back to life. 
It's in your precious name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, God bless you. Next week, we're starting a brand new series. Bring your friends. You're not going to want to miss it. Grab your Bibles on your way out.